It was the year of fire. The year of destruction. The year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth. The year of great sadness. The year of pain. And the year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2261. The place, Babylon 5. Hello and welcome to Chats, the television podcast, season six, Chatslon 5. My name is Alan, and do you know how the ancient Greeks defined happiness? I don't know offhand, but I'd be willing to bet it involved three goats and a co-host named Magellan. Meow. <laughs> you ever think about how that's like a sex joke? Like, ha- he's not, no, 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 the three goats thing. I know the men who stare at goats is a movie. I think it's that. What's it about? Yeah, I do think it's that. What's that about? You know, I did see it, and I don't remember. I just remember it's like they have psychic powers in the army or something. What? Maybe I just spoiled the men who stare at goats. It's like 11-year-old weird indie movie. I think it's like the military is trying to develop, like, psychic soldiers, but they're not doing well, and it's kind of funny. But it's not actually that good. Something like that. It might not have that guy in it, but it feels like it has him in it. George Clooney? Sam. Sam. He's got a beard. Sam Beard. Am I, am I on drugs? What's going on? The men who stare at goats. <laughs> the <laughs> men who... Okay, let's just answer this question lightning fast and we'll move right along. Yeah. <sighs> George Clooney. It doesn't have the guy I'm thinking of. It's got George Who Clooney, Ian McGregor, of? and Jeff Bridges. You're thinking of Sam Elliott? No, dude. Sam, Sam Rockwell. Sam beard. Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. I think it's Sam. No, he's not in it. He just seems like he would be in it. He smells like he'd be in it. Yeah, he probably smells. What? Celebrities that smell. He's my top ten YouTube list. Number one. I was just, you know what I was just thinking about the other day is how Henry VIII must have smelled really bad. Why specifically Henry VIII? I was watching a video of like. It was a parody of the ABBA song, Money, Money, Money. Okay. But it was Henry, 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 and it's him killing his wives. Classy, classy video. Uh, and then I was like, he must smell really bad. He's only had all the wives, right? Yeah, he had six. It's a lot of... But if you had two more, you could have won the prize, Henry. Come on, you lazy man. Yeah, everyone knows that on your eighth wife, you get a prize. Because well, if you're Henry VIII, you have to have Kent, you have to have eight wives. Yeah, ev- everyone knows this, Henry. It's first grade, Henri. Yeah, you didn't go to first grade, Henri, Henri. There are some countries where they say Henry is Henri. I guess he has an honorary degree from first grade because he didn't go. Oh, he's got an honorary I'm rich degree. <laughs> <laughs> this weird podcast is called Chats on Five, and occasionally hey. my friend Magellan and I talk about two episodes of a called classic TV show. Uh, this week we are continuing our journey through season four of Babylon Five, and we watched season four, episode fifteen, No Surrender, No Retreat, as well as season four, episode sixteen, The Exercise of Vital Powers. No Surrender, No Retreat was written by J. Michael Straczynski. It was dirit- directed by Michael Vehar. It aired May 26, 1997, and it takes place from September 2nd to the 4th of 2261. Magellan, what happened yes, in this sir. episode? In this episode, following the destruction of two refugee transports, Captain John Sheridan assumes the offensive in the Earth Alliance Civil War, starting with the liberation of Proxima Three. 
Meanwhile, Londo Malari and Jakar begin the slow process of rebuilding their frayed relationship. Alan, what did you think of No Surrender, No Retreat? It's that classic chats thing where the A plot is just kind of good and the B plot is amazing. Yeah. It's 100% one of those. Because the Sheridan stuff kind of got interesting when he's like recruiting all the different ships to work with him. Right, and right, right. there's like urgency and meaning and like symbolism and all this good stuff. Um, but it just kind of is like continuing this saga of Sheridan is charismatic and truly does honestly care about fixing the problems on Earth through brutal military might. <laughs> I didn't have a ton of notes on the on the A plot, so we can kind of walk through that through just yeah. memory, feel Let's through the it. dark together. Uh, but the B plot, the Londo and Jakar stuff, you had texted me saying that uh, this is one of those things where we hadn't seen them for most of the season or like half the season now, and then we see it and you wish that there was another half of the season to just, just to focus on that. Because they unravel yeah. so much of their relationship in this in this couple of scenes that it's like, I just want to watch them do this more. I just want to keep seeing this get figured out. Uh, what did you think of it? Oh, man. I really didn't realize how much I was missing those guys. But I was missing them so much. Mm-hmm. As soon as you see Londo and Jakar, it's like, whoa, man. It's been too long, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to start there with those guys and then we'll do the other stuff? Sure. Get into the fun stuff. Um, basically everybody starts towards the beginning of the episode with Sheridan saying to all of the League of Nonline Worlds people, as well as Jakar and Londo, um, listen, we're going to go attack Earth. You have treaties, you have mutual defense treaties with Earth. If we attacked Earth, it would set off those treaties. So... Part of the deal of us protecting you is you're not allied with Earth anymore. Uh, Jakar says, hey, that doesn't sound so bad. Earth let us get invaded by the Centauri and then didn't do anything with the shadows either. So screw them. We don't care. Uh, And then most of the other aliens decide to sign on and agree. And then later we see that, uh, oh, there's a moment where Veer, uh, who I also missed very dearly, Great Veer's, work from Veer. Veer's talking to Garibaldi, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Garibaldi's looking for Londo. Or no, and then Veer lets slip that they're invading Earth. Garibaldi didn't know. And then he offhandedly says, like, oh, Londo's going to meet with Jakar. Uh, and in your head, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, uh, what scene are we about to see? So Londo goes to Jakar's quarters. And he says, I think this is the first time I've been here. Which... Is that true? Because wasn't there that time where Jakar like destroyed his mind in his room or something? Or was that in Londo's room? I thought it was in Londo. No, that was definitely in Londo's room. Okay. Um, but Londo says, I've never been here before. Hey, man, what's up with you? Man, I loved, I loved that moment. It like shocked me to full attention. Jakar says, oh, I had the interior decorators take the chains out of here. Uh, and then Londo is like, oh, you smell like butts or whatever he said. And then he's like, oh, how quickly we go to insulting each other. I'm not here to do that. I'm trying to talk to you, man. The line was, isn't it amazing how quickly we fall into familiar patterns as soon as we come into one another's orbit? Like comets that flare when they get near the sun. 
Mm, <laughs> you have to be Londo Malari to drop a line like that casually. Yeah. It's beautiful. He's grown so much. Both of them have grown so much, and yet they still hold on to this resentment and, uh, you know, difficulty between each other. And it was beautiful to see Londo reaching out and trying to offer an olive branch because both of them know, like, it's no good for either of us to hold on to this century-old grudge. It will destroy us both. And Londo says, listen, you were trying to help your people, but you also helped my people. And I realized that maybe we should be helping each other. So I thought that we could both actively say that we support Sheridan and say, like, he's doing the right thing. We're issuing a joint statement that says that. That's Londo's plan. Jakar sort of lets him talk about it. And then he's like, oh, Jakar, remember when you bought me a drink <laughs> in that one episode where you were so happy? Oh, man. Remember that? Yeah, you remember that? Oh, God, that was brutal. Anyway, I'm buying you. I'm getting you a drink. Let me pour a drink for you. Let's do this thing. And it seems like Jakar's going to drink it. But then, oh, he pours it back into the bottle. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on here. Because I think you can definitely read this if you're watching this show week to week, like, Jakar's being unfair. Like, we want to see this olive branch be extended and taken. We want it to go well. Mm-hmm. And we want this moment where he, he takes the drink, he puts it in the glass, and he drinks it. But you got to remember, I mean, they talk about it. They've done this before, and Londo has lied about it. Londo right. has said, like, we're all good, no more problems, like, water under the bridge. This exact scenario has happened at least once, if not more than once, in their friendship, in their relationship. Why would Jakar ever trust him this time? Especially after all that's happened. Like, and, and Londo says, like, it's not fair. I've given you a lot. I've given you stuff I didn't have to give you. I gave you that on Homeworld, but I didn't have to give it to you. Like, why do you have any reason left not to trust me? Jakar has this, like, painful, painful hurt in his heart that he can't get over. That's like, no, it doesn't work like this. We don't have this, like, cute moment where we share a drink anymore. We're yeah. older than that. We're mature than that. It really does show so much growth from him. Yeah that the first one of the first lines that Jakar says to Londo kind of says everything where Londo says oh hey how's your eye and Jakar says it, it sees, sees. Mm-hmm. yeah like get out Just, I don't want to talk to you right because um, one of the last times they spoke was when they ran into each other in the hallway or whatever uh, outside of uh, social studies and he was like if I ever let's try to make this the last <laughs> time I ever see you yeah and then Londo's going out of his way to to have an audience with Jakar mm-hmm. but just against what he said. Um, I think what's at play here is that it's Londo is just in a privileged position. He really when it comes to saying, Hey, let's put this behind us because what just happened is his world invaded Jakar's and leveled it to the ground. And now he's like, okay, well let's let bygones be bygones. It's like, no, you don't get to say that. You did right. it. You can't just decide to exit the cycle of violence because you're out on top. Yeah. Like, would Londo and, have done any of this stuff if he was in need or if he was the one who had lost everything? Right. Like, if the roles were reversed, you're saying? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think so. And that's that's what's kind of impossible about a situation like this is... One side is always in the position of you hurt us and we're going to take our revenge. 
And so for Londo and Jakar both, it's about giving up pride, but there, it's different kinds of pride. Right. Because Londo, it was a pride of like, he had it all, you know, mm -hmm. he had everything that he thought he'd wanted all of these years that he was sparring with Jakar. Mm -hmm. And he realized like this, no, I don't like this. I'm going to give this up. And that's growth in a sense, but it is not hardship to the extent that Jakar has experienced or the pride that he has had to give up is he needed to like humiliate himself and injure himself over and over and over again. And essentially spiritually, mentally, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially turn himself into a pariah among his own people. And that moment where he, you know, laughs and walks away from them as they loot the, um, the Centauri throne room that right. they put on Narn. So he's been utterly and entirely broken in the name of preserving his people. And now Londo comes to him and he's like, come on, man. Like, we're cool. We both, we're cool. We both went through some stuff. It was a tough year, but like, things are fine now, right? right? So you can't blame Jakar for wanting this, at least a little moment of like, of middle finger. Uh, and he has that. And I love Londo's reaction because he, he blows up in the middle of the scene. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's like, why aren't you find... giving me anything? I'm trying to be nice to you. Yeah. And when Jakar pours in the drink, he realizes like, oh, I'm like trying to manipulate him. Yeah. I wasn't being genuine. I was trying to like win. Mm -hmm. All right. Both, I'm out of here. Both of these folks still need to get over the thing that Jakar saw in his vision so long ago, where it was like, you need to get over pride. What You you have to be the first one to say sorry. Like One of you has to stop gunning for the other person. That's the only way for this to end, is for both of you yeah. to give up your pride. Like Over and over again, that's been beating into his head. And there are two moments in this episode that I can remember of people's doorbells ringing on the ship uh, on the station, and they're not answering right away. The first one is Veer when Garibaldi comes to him, and mm -hmm. the reason he's not answering is because he's asleep, he's hungover, etc. He's having a rough go of it. We'll talk about that scene. But the second one is this moment where Jakara is like wide awake, very aware, and Londo's ringing the doorbell. He knows it's Londo. He knows to expect him, and he's just gonna make him wait. He's just gonna make him ring the doorbell a couple times. He's like, "I'm not gonna answer it. I want to see you wait for it." <laughs> yeah he does he could just open it but he's like he's still holding on to this like i want us to make him suffer just a just a tiny microscopic way by making him ring the door more than once or twice um he can't give up on that stuff and it's it's on one hand really heartbreaking but on the other hand i totally like empathize with him in these moments where you with can tell car. yeah where you can tell that yeah. somebody's hurt you so many times and you're like why why do i keep doing this like it's not ever gonna be worth it right exactly so I'm curious then why you think he does agree to do it by the end. Because Jakar's also, he's had his his come to Jesus or come to Jaquan revelations yeah. um, about how you, ha he ha you have to let these things go. You can't harbor these resentments or desires for revenge because ultimately they tie your people to forever war with somebody else and 
you're never going to become great or long lasting if you do that. And, you know, I think he thinks about it and realizes like, I once again have to set my pride aside and realize that Londo is proposing something that is right mm-hmm. and that makes sense. And Londo says like, listen, I had a revelation where I became the bad guy. I loved this where Londo says I became the bad guy or the villain or or the enemy, he says. Um, and it made me realize that I have no idea who the enemy is because it was me for a moment. <laughs> he finally has that moment. He wanted it and so he, bad. Yeah. And he essentially says, listen, Jakar, I don't know who the bad guys any, are anymore, but I know who the good guys are. And Sheridan's a good guy. And we got to get behind him. And I think Jakar agrees. So he finds Londo and he says, okay, I'll sign the thing. I still hate you. I don't want to sign on the same page that you do. <laughs> I love that. John Hancock ass just being like, I get yeah. the I get the big signature. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want it next to yours. Right. But a, just a beautiful resolution of that. And I I can't wait to see where that goes. Yeah. It's one of the best it's one of the best like acted scenes too, between Peter Jurassic and Andreas Katsulas being like mm-hmm fully into their characters understanding who they are and what they're coming from like barring so much history and and, and bring it to this moment mm-hmm. i think a connecting theme actually between uh the a and b plots this episode is this idea of like holding on to like empty promises or empty sort mm-hmm. of like lifestyles that you thought made sense but now don't in the current world interesting uh because the people that sheridan is trying to recruit are all from uh i guess the earth military if i understood this correctly yeah uh he's finally beginning his open attacks and he says you know it's gonna it's gonna suck for a while like this is gonna be one of the hardest fights we're gonna get in and a lot of you are gonna die but like you know for the first step is going forward like we have to do something so they're attacking these ships and yeah so we go to proxima three which is like the outer colony of earth Mm -hmm. basically and um yeah like you're saying they know that there are eight battle cruisers stationed on Proxima 3. And part of the beginning of the episode, why I think there weren't a lot of notes in your notes, was that a lot of the A plot was, okay, we're going to go fight. Okay, can you make sure that things are happening? Can you make sure we know the stuff? Like Marcus is learning information, whatever, whatever. It's just like getting us there. Um but we learned that two of the cruisers have gone out of their way to destroy civilian targets. Two of them have actively avoided that. And the other four, we have no idea. And that's what we're rolling into. And the first one he runs into, uh, the Heracles, is uh, piloted by Captain Trevor Hall, played by Ken Jenkins, a.k.a. Dr. Kelso from Scrubs. <laughs> Just doing his like, serious so military weird. man character. I didn't, I didn't think anything could be weirder than seeing Brian Cranston in this show, yeah. but I was wrong. And I love that. Weirder. I love that like the Earth Force people are where we're getting is the avenue for like weird comedians in, yeah. <laughs> in the show. Um, so he's he's a, uh, a Clark loyalist and he's like, you're going against Clark. Like, why would you go against the, our boss? All of this stuff. He's kind of the person that Sheridan realizes he can't get through to. He tries to. Yeah. But he's like, this guy is stuck in his ways. Like, he's an older person. He is committed to the cause. 
I might just end up having to fire on him, and that's going to go badly, but, like, we have to do it. Right. What else are we supposed to do? Exactly. Um, And then they have the other ship, the EAS Vesta, which is piloted by my new favorite captain from Earth Wars, Captain Edward McDugan, (laughs) a.k.a. Captain Mackey. Which I know just because Sheridan has a moment where he goes, like, he's yelling at Kelso, uh, not Kelso, but the guy. <laughs> doc- <laughs> just call him Kelso. It's fine. yelling at Kelso, being like, come on, like, be cool for five minutes, dude. And then Mackie comes in, he's like, what's up, guys? I logged on. And he's like, Mackie! <laughs> hey, 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 buddy! Because they're all dude? military friends. Yeah. Um, Mackie was also jarring to me because I just watched the Netflix series Mr. Iglesias, mm-hmm. which is like gabriel iglesias's bad sitcom yeah. about being a high school teacher i mean it, it was fun to watch but it, it is subjectively not good and he's like the crotchety old teacher guy <laughs> in mm-hmm. on the staff in that wow so it was weird to see him also being like you know the older mentor dude but on, on the ship it was also jarring right and he's the one who's like Dude, we have orders. Like, why would I go against orders? And then Sheridan's like, "You are the only person who gets to change things right now. Like, if you like, you we learned in in uh, military academy, like, you don't follow orders that are illegal or unjust. Like, you have the power as a soldier, as a captain, to supersede your your orders. That you're allowed to do that. This is a very like military movie thing. Yeah, just being like, oh, maybe the higher ups are wrong. You know, it's one on one stuff, but it's exciting to watch." It was a cool uh, moral conundrum that is placed before this guy of, yeah, you're supposed to follow orders, but also if you know that something is wrong, then you also have a responsibility not to follow certain orders. Um, And I appreciated seeing this guy, seeing Mackie take that into consideration and say, okay, then my response is just to do nothing. Right. That is like the best thing for me to do. I'm not going to disobey orders. Like I'm not going to go against orders and counter them, but I'm also not going to do them because they're wrong. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to be inactive. And by the end of the episode, he decides, well, you know what? I'm going to ride with the Sheridan guy because he's doing the right thing. Because passiveness in a time of war is, is like akin to, you know, inaction and, yeah. uh, you know, supporting a certain cause by not acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love all the like minutia of the way the power gets handed off in these scenes. I love uh, Kelso telling them that like, okay, Mac, you've been relieved of duty. And now uh, Lieutenant Philby is the captain of your ship. And then, like, the camera's, like, focused tight on Mackie's face. And he turns, like, two inches to the right. And Philby has a PPG pointed at his face. And he's like, I always knew you wanted a promotion, Bob. Never knew how badly until now. So silly. Again, again, but, and like, again, and again. Cool. That's Babylon 5 is a silly <laughs> It's a deeply silly show concerned yeah. with deeply silly basic political ideas that I love seeing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and then Philby gets subdued by the rest of the crew. We don't even we don't see this, but Mackie's yeah. like, "Yeah, they took care of him. They knocked him out. He's fine." <laughs> uh, and then uh, Kelso is uh, overseen by he or or superseded by Commander Sandra Levitt, mm-hmm. who's like, "Hey, you're like she's doing what Mackie's doing, which is like, you gave me an order. I know you're my boss. You're going to die because you can't accept that you might be wrong, and then things might be bigger than you." He's like, that's stupid. And then she takes him out. 
Renok doesn't take him out as and kill him, but she assumes command and like relieves him of command and all that stuff. Yeah, that was that was a great fuck yeah moment. Yeah. Uh, and then we get the cool like collecting our victories moment, where they Sheridan explains to all of the captains like here's what your your options are. You can stay in defend Proxima three on our side. You can go back home and probably go like get arrested for war crimes. <laughs> yeah. Just so you know, not our problem right now, yep. but that could happen. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Or you could go with us on our side and fight with us, and that would be super funny. You would die a noble cause, probably. I recommend it. Anyways, you guys can decide. <laughs> your, your choice. Your choice, totally, 100%, but I'm just saying you should pick this one. They're all like, well, think about it, and then like, it's pretty much a good split. Nobody like abandons, which is, gr- which is great. Yeah. Um, but Maki and uh, Kawagawa and, and I think a couple others... Are like yeah, we'll go, we'll go fight with Sheridan, and like one or two ships stays on Proxima Three. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it it has a different texture than previous wars that we've seen. It's cool that every conflict that we see in the show is is philosophically different, um, because because the Shadow War totally different. Like you're not going to talk to the shadows and convince them that they should ride with you. Um, the Mimbari Civil War maybe has some echoes of this, like Delenn and Sheridan are kind of doing similar things of trying to reunite their worlds, but the enemies are different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not as if there's deep-seated caste conflict on Earth. It, it's a matter of, of military dictatorship and, and... It's less, less, uh, caste conflict and more class conflict. If you know what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, right. Or just more like there's a there's one guy who's bad. There's a bad guy. Of we resent each other kind of thing. Exactly. We have a unified villain. I I think that's one of the most fascinating things about both of these episodes is that we're we're coming to understand that there isn't anybody really out there except like Kelso who likes Clark. <laughs> right. And even he doesn't I don't think he likes Clark. He's just I like think he's, he's the boss, we work for the boss. Yeah, he's just decided like this is how things are. We're just gonna do what we're supposed to do, right? I love that stuff, um, and yeah. it, it it comes to bl- blossom even more so in the second episode. But um, especially regarding Garibaldi, who ends this episode because earlier he runs into Veer. Uh, is it? Does it? He move to? Is it? No, 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 no. He presumably hung. No, no. It's it is him. He, Veer is like hung over in his room, which is adorable. He's woken up yeah. by Garibaldi, who's like, "Where's Londo?" And then. Veer is the one who who slips that Sheridan's plan is to go take out Clark. Yeah, well, and don't forget that Veer wakes up in a cold sweat, being like, "I I didn't do it." So he's yeah. still super guilty about murdering. Uh, I don't even remember his name. Morden, the guy that I love. No, not Cartagia. Cartagia, yeah. Sorry, yeah. That's... Who did I? Who is my, who was my new favorite side character recently? Um, and Mr. Verini. No, although he is great. No, someone from the last... Oh, Nerun, that's right. Yeah, it's we got... either Nerun or Cartage are my, my, my favorite. We got a I'm very sorry. good email about Nerun tonight, actually. Oh, nice, great. Um, but for, before we get to that, yeah, the, the episode does end because in that moment, Garibaldi's like, oh, shucks, Sheridan's out, off his rocker. I can't work with this guy anymore. I'm out of here. Uh, mm-hmm. He is checking out, and the guy's like, where are you going? He's like, Mars. And then he's like, all right, cool. That's, I guess, cool, I guess. Well, uh, for how long? And he's like, forever forever not coming back so emo (laughs) yeah super emo uh it's like garibaldi's audi which is a bummer but like 
I almost feel like we've just had this, this like angry Garibaldi for so long that I no longer remember him as the yeah like man. lovable rogue. Isn't that sad? I, I I just want my guy back. I want to yeah. know what's going on. I got some theories. We'll talk about some theories in the second yeah, next, episode. Next episode. Um, but before we get there, let's read said emails. Let's do it. All right. So we've got one email to look at right now because we are recording uh, ahead of time. We're actually going to be recording ahead of time for the next few. So I think we might, I think we might after today record additional email segments later. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do those. Oh, you could do those, right? Yeah, because Alan's going to France pretty soon. Yeah, heads up for folks. Um, August 10th to the 21st, I will be out of the country, so the chat schedule is going to be a little long. It shouldn't actually affect the release yeah, schedule it, at all. It actually shouldn't. Yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't see an interruption, but we might be behind on emails, but I'll make sure that that gets some. Exactly. I'm handing off the keys to a very competent boy. Vroom, vroom, baby. But we do have one email to look at right now from Ryan. Uh, related to our discussion last week, specifically talking about Nerun, uh, which is awesome. And the subject line is my boy Nerun. Ryan says, this will be a long one for me as I have many things to say about my boy Nerun. So upon my rewatch and listening to your podcast, I have come to really appreciate Nerun, his place in the show and his dynamic to Delenn and her set of values. The cool thing about his character is that he never truly was a villain, and especially not the typical warrior man with a grudge and an itch for war, but a man from a different set of values from the Mimbari whom we typically see. I think it adds to the world building in the Mimbari as a race to show the different perspectives and how those ideas can be looked over or judged incorrectly due to caste prejudice. As we saw in Grey 17 is Missing, Nerun's warrior caste military perspective is a valuable one, Uh, to have, and we've seen that the warrior style is valid time and time again when it comes to other races, like for the humans, with Sheridan's warrior tactics, which are usually applauded as good. As a viewer, since we always see the Mimbari from the perspective of the religious caste, Nerun comes across as ruthless at times, but really he wasn't that bad, especially since he was like the only good warrior caste member we've seen in the show. So when it comes around to him being a good guy, it rings true, because he's always a good guy, or he's always been a good guy, even if he was arrogant and flawed at times. After all, so has every other good guy character in the show, so why not Nerun? Agreed so far. Mm-hmm. Ryan goes on to say, Some interesting things to think about uh, are that when we first meet Nerun, he is traveling around the galaxy displaying the body of a respected warrior leader who was once a respected member of the religious caste. In that episode, when Nerun finds out Delenn secretly cremated the body, he's flummoxed as to the explanation of why she did that. For you see, Nerun couldn't understand at that time that the man who served as a great warrior and died uh, as one could also have still been a man of religion. After all, the caste system exists to define where you fit, even in death. By the end of Nerun's journey in the show, he discovers that perhaps we are more than the caste system and can be in tune with more than one. For Nerun defined himself as a warrior, but died realizing his heart was religious. Um, so I think we thought that Nerun was the one who started religious cast, but we were misremembering, and it was the guy that I, he was parading around. Yeah, and I think that's a more interesting version of events. Yeah. But good good correction. Mm-hmm. That journey for Nerun is very similar to the dead warrior leader, for whom he couldn't understand uh, was a man of multiple facets that reached outside of the assigned caste system. 
To dig deeper into the parallels of Nerun and the leader he loved so much, both of their bodies get turned to ash. The dead leader was uh, the dead leader's cremation was done out of respect and in the hopes of fooling the Mimbari that the body had ascended to the point of a holy miracle, mm-hmm. while Nerun's death actually does act as a form of divine ascension to the point that an empty place is left in his honor. Um, for through his actions and death, the Mimbari basically gave him the equivalent of being canonized as a saint. That's a cool connection. I didn't yeah. Uh, and Ryan wraps up by saying, you mentioned that you were shaking or about to cry during the forming of the new great council, but for me, I practically weep at the bit in which he mentions that the spot left opened in the middle is for Nerun. Yeah. Uh, for in any other show, a character like that wouldn't have gone down this road and earned such an honorable world-changing moment like having a spot left for him. Especially when you think back in season two, it was a horrifying revelation to Delenn that he was on the council to begin with. A wonderful character arc of a man realizing something he didn't once understand before, and all done in five episodes spread through four seasons. Honestly, it is amazing that such care was taken with a character that in other hands could have been just an angry warrior guy with a grudge. Kind regards, Ryan. That's great. What a fitting eulogy for Nehru. Truly. The the best Nehru email we could have asked for, and a beautiful email in general. Um, something and didn't Nerun replace a religious caste person on the Great Council or something? I'm not going to so guess and be wrong again. I refuse to be wrong. <laughs> if he did, that's another level of interesting, yeah, irony that he took that role and then eventually became a religious person himself. Nerun, beautiful. John Vickery, beautiful. Ryan, beautiful. All above. Um, and I like this idea that uh, again he is coming to understand religion and, and spirituality through seeing it happen and mm. understanding that like self-sacrifice is a part of that. And so that's why he does it is he's like, Oh, that's, this is the way like he finally finds his answer. And like, of course he's going to do it. Of course he's going to throw himself into the star port light because right. that's what you're supposed to do. He like feels right. the divine calling and shouts to the heavens about it. It's very good stuff. Mm. And shout outs to the land too, for keeping that slot open for him. Um, yeah. Yeah, since, again, since our release schedule is a little wonky, that's that's the email we got this week. Made it just under the wire, but thank you to Ryan for that. And um, as always, folks can email us, chatspot at gmail.com if you want to have your emails read, uh, or tweet at us at chatspot. We'll do those too. You know, a little light on the tweets lately, although we do get good responses when I tweet stuff. So, yeah, you know, hit us up. Uh, we'll be right back, though, after this brief musical break to discuss the exercise of vital powers. Welcome back to Chat Salon 5. The second episode we watched this week was Season 4, Episode 16, The Exercise of Vital Powers. It was written by Jay Maysay, directed by Jean Lafia. It aired June 2nd, 1997, and it takes place from September 6th to September 8th of 2261. Alan, what did you think of The Exercise? Well... 
before you even tell me what you thought, tell me what happened in the exercise of vital powers. Majon, in this episode, what you need to understand is that Garibaldi arrives on Mars to meet his new employer, William Edgars. Hey, what's going on? Lita helps Franklin to make progress with the frozen telepaths, which is a terribly written sentence. Yeah. How's your progress with the telepaths who are frozen? What? No. Um, <laughs> great episode. Great episode. I love world building. I think William Edgars has established himself as one of my one of the cooler side characters of the season. Um, just in terms of the role he plays mm-hmm. as the like rich corporation holder who also wants to destroy the tyrant. I don't like him. I still don't trust him at all. No, no, no. Of course not. Not even in the slightest. But he's fascinating in what he's doing to Garibaldi. And with Garibaldi is uh, truly, truly engaging stuff. Except for the part where he talks about the jihad party. That made me angry. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get there. Okay. Let's just talk about that part. Well, what else happens in this episode? Oh, the telepath stuff. Should we just knock that out first? <laughs> I love the uh, I love our podcast and the fact that when a pot when a plot is short we think of it as like a like a side quest that we can just really quickly finish and <laughs> right. it. Well, I I always when I'm eating, I always eat the vegetables first. Really? Yeah, because I want to end on the thing that I like the most. Yeah, I, I kind of do that. At restaurants I do that for sure. Yeah, so let's eat let's eat our vegetables first then we can get that steak. <laughs> we can put that steak in there. The, the Garibaldi heavy. steak. Yeah. Sort of a banya cauda, if you will. Oh, yeah. Which is not steak. Um, Zach, Zach Allen is like, hey, Lita, how you doing? Can you scan someone? Don't worry. I, he wants to be scanned. He likes it. It's cool. And she, she's like, no, that's so illegal, Zach. And he's like, he wants to. And she's like, oh, it's actually completely legal because you told me he <laughs> wants to. He signed a waiver. She's like, oh, that sounds great. Uh, Dr. Stephen Franklin is stressing out a lot. I love Dr. Franklin when he's stressed out. Uh, this time it's because Sheridan is not telling him why he needs to take care of all these telepaths and mm-hmm. what's in them and why. What's what's his sort of motivation? He's, he's feeling a, a lack of motivation. Uh, Lita, when she's ta- brought in by Zach, notices that there's a telepath in MedLab um, who's awake and up to something. And they have an ET phone home moment where they touch hands like, through glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, Franklin sees this and goes, oh, wait a minute, because the problem he's been having is that uh, if they are mani- if they are able to get the telepaths conscious, the first thing they do is like start melding to technology and reading everyone's brains. They're like unhinged. They can't control them once they're awake, so he keeps them in stasis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. But she, uh, Lita Alexander, because of her Vorlon stuff, uh, is able to recognize that they have shadow tech in them, and she tells him that she saw a shadow ship and heard the sound of a shadow ship passing by when she looked through his brain. So he hires her to start doing that and to basically like help people while they're conscious. Mm -hmm. Help like ease them into consciousness so that he can try to surgery them or something. That's the idea or at least help them in some way. Yeah. Uh, They have this, this all accelerates to a very, very dark uh, scene where it kind of felt like they were critic. They were making Lita seem like a bad guy of sorts. Um, they're trying to help that same guy, and he wakes up and he's like freaking out. And Franklin is trying to like do his best bedside manner and be like, "You're okay. The shadow war is over. Like, mm-hmm. we're not the bad guys." Even though he looks up and sees gray aliens poking and prodding at him, which is very scary. Uh, and then he's like, "Nope. Like, I have an evil in me, and I can't get it out." He takes like a a knife or some scissors or something and like pulls it up to his neck, like he's gonna stab himself. Mm-hmm. Franklin is doing his best to not be killed by him. He was choked by him earlier, so he's already a little out of sorts. And Lita goes into the guy's head 
against his permission and says, you don't, I'm not going to let you do that. Uh, you're going to go to sleep and knocks the man out. This is one of those things I feel like they have to, they really have to dig into this a little bit at some point. Well, tell me more about why, why, because what she's doing is she, they make such a big deal about like, she can't do this stuff unless she's getting paid for it. And if it's under, like it has to be with consent. Right. She just like jumps into this guy's head and knocks him out. Like she does like the evil telepath thing. Mm. And it's in the, it's in, it's for the sake of like safety and the, for the guy's own safety. But it's framed in a way that makes it seem like she's doing a bad thing. Right. You can't really take this plot into consideration without also understanding how the Garibaldi plot fits into it. And the basics of that is that Edgar's uh, is like, hey, telepaths are dangerous and them existing is leading to a society where they have like unbridled power over us. And... You know, as much as you trust that Lita is a good guy, this is a moment where, as a viewer, I was scared, and I thought, oh, whoa, she can just do that? She can just snap people to sleep? That <laughs> is... I knew that she was powerful, but I never really stopped to consider what that power would look like. And, yeah, I think it's a, yeah. gr- it's a great... Um, sorry to interrupt you, but it's no, just sorry. a great way to take Lita's character is like now that we're talking about telepaths and whether or not how when and how they need to be regulated it's so important to have a character who is an unregulated under like not under psychor telepath and like see what they do with their power and how they try to use it for the greater good and sometimes fail yeah and we realize that the only thing standing between uh you know Lita being a good telepath and her using her powers for bad reasons is that she has a very clear moral compass. And if it was any other person who had these powers, it, you know, they would have taken over Babylon five easily. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so to, to tie this all back, I mean, is there anything else to it? Oh yeah. Or actually, yeah. Um, yeah. Franklin gets really mad and it's like, Sharon, you're going to tell me once and for all why you're, we're experimenting with the telepaths. And then he, uh, this is kind of a cool moment where Sheridan's like, I'm going to re-encode this every three seconds, which is like their secret thing of being like, don't tell anyone. He's like, Franklin, is there anyone around? He's like, yeah, just the staff. Yeah, <laughs> just like, Get them all everybody. out of here. Everybody's here. Yeah, just it's just me and all the friends. It's cool, though. You can tell me. And he's Randall, like, nope, uh, make Rimsky, them go away. Sandra, they're all here. And he's like, he's, <laughs> he's like, Sandra, Kevin, Bob, Benita, um, go get, he's like, go get a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Go get some. Don't worry about all the sick people here. Just go. Everybody take a nap at once. Take five. Just go grab a grab a berg. Um, call it a little bit. Like it's it's pretty silly. Um, uh, we don't exactly see what Sheridan tells him, but we know that uh, Lita asks him later, like, "What's going on?" He's like, "That's this is a big deal, Lita." And she's like, "Why?" And he's like, "We're being reassigned, you and I." She's like, "Where are we going?" He's like, "We're going to Mars." Nice. Lita and Franklin are now going to Mars. I'm into it. I'm so into it. I just want the show to be on Mars already. Just get me there. We're there. We're going. We're, we'll be there. next. I mean, all the Garibaldi time. stuff on Mars is fantastic. So give me that some more, please. Uh, and so to, to pivot. Um, what do you think they're there for? What is Sheridan's plan, you think? I think that's where they're going to initiate the attack on Earth. I think that's the closest like base they have. They're going to. No, no, no. With the, with the shadow telepaths, though. Oh. Oh, 
Good question. Are they going to bring the telepaths with them? Well, it seems like it, right? It hmm. seems like Sheridan's going to ride in with like some, some like a cavalry of telepaths. That seems if they're not consenting to that that seems fraught. Yeah, it seems really dangerous. Whatever it is that he's scheming to do, it seems like right. bad news. But for some reason, Franklin's use... like this is the only way. Oh yeah, so it's got to be something nasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're gonna fight to like finish taking back Mars once and for all with the help of these telepaths. And that's where we're going. Yeah. What if he all? What if Sheridan also wants to get rid of all telepaths? Why would he want to get rid of all telepaths? I don't know, because the Clark in the cycle. True. I don't know. Uh, or he's just going to use the shadow telepaths to fight Psychor or something. The thing that worries me about Sheridan, and, and I'm starting to lead. The more that the show talks about it, the less I think it's true. Because last week we talked about like how much would it suck if Sheridan became president of Earth. Um, Did we Garib- talk about once, that? We've definitely talked about how te- we would hate it. Me that today. I don't know if we talked about it on the show. Really? I don't know. Go ahead. Um, but no, basically, our worry was that, and then once Garibaldi says like. At this rate, Sheridan is going to replace uh, Clark with himself, and that's just as bad, if not worse, because mm-hmm. he's a mill. Like, why would you? He says this thing that's like so. I guess ripped from the headlines, where he's like, "Why would you let a military person run the government?" And you're like, "Huh." <laughs> well, and the and the generals or the captains of the other ships say, "Hey, we're military. We shouldn't be making policy." As a retort to Sheridan's uh, assault. Yeah, which hilarious considering the world we live in. Right, that military um, and policy are so often intertwined. Yeah, but it seem it does seem like I was saying this to you earlier today. The archetype right now is that Sheridan is a sort of Julius Caesar figure. Yeah, where uh-huh. he's kind of marching from faraway lands with this big army on Rome, and he's going to install himself as like a benevolent, uh, unilateral leader, and who knows what comes of that. I don't really think that Sheridan is going to like install himself as the military dictator of earth or something. Right. But it's, I wonder what's going to happen because he does seem pretty strongly committed to maintaining earth's institutions. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like, he says to, to, is his name Mackie? Is that what it was? Yes. He says to Mackie, it's about, it isn't about the, office it's about this guy it's about president clark and mackie says you're splitting a very thin hair sheridan um so i I wonder where that goes like it seems like maybe sheridan's gonna have a revelation of this system is broken and the system needs to be changed that would be great and then just sorry no what's the solution what's the solution like if this system is broken, then what do they fix? Like what are the once they get rid of Clark and he's like, I don't want to be president. What do we? What's the right way to do this? Well, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. He talks about like sending things to the voters. Yeah, he says give the people the power back. Yeah, I I just don't know what that looks like. I think a big part of it is like get getting rid of Psychor feels like it would be important. Yes, to him. definitely. But I don't know where we go from there. We have a lot of mysteries with that. The fun thing is knowing that uh, this will be answered this season. Right. True. Because they didn't write this to go another season. Right. Uh, so it's soon. We'll know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to Mars. And meanwhile, on Mars, 
Uh, Garibaldi's recording his audio logs from there. Uh, this man who has a name who I, which I can't remember, uh, but he comes back a couple of times, uh, asks Garibaldi to put on a... His name is Wade. Wade. Oh, my God. What's up, Wade? <clears throat> He's asked to put on a blindfold because he can't know where Edgar's uh, place is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he doubts, he stresses about it, he's like, seems like a bad idea, but he does it anyways, which is totally Garibaldi's plot in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. He's like, this seems like a bad idea, I'll do it. Yeah, right. Kind of becoming a running gag of sorts. Uh, he bumps into Lise as he waits to meet Edgar's, uh, and she has this weird thing where she keeps telling him, like, you know, I don't trust my husband, like, he's doing some nasty shit. Anyways, I do love him, and I respect him, <laughs> he's doing amazing things. Yeah. Here he is, it's fine. Uh, Edgar's and Garibaldi have the first of well, many can we, conversations. Can we talk about Wade on the train real quick? Oh, for sure. I, I, this is such a silly moment that I loved. Is um, Wade's telling him, "Listen, you got to put on a blindfold. That's what Edgar's wants." Garibaldi says, "I can't do that." Blah blah. And Wade's like, "Hey, listen. I respect that you don't want to follow someone's rules, but you may not know this about me. I was a lit major." <laughs> <laughs> and, oh yeah and nothing is real so except for this blindfold <laughs> i remember that yeah <laughs> wait's fun um i think he really was a lit major too i believe him i believe it. i have no reason not to believe it yeah there's a lot of like good history stuff in this episode too speaking of like people majoring in things in college um but yeah first of many conversations between garibaldi and edgar is where he's saying clark needs to be stopped i don't believe in him uh, the person who has to defeat him, though, can't be Sheridan. We can't give this to one person. This guy's a military guy. Just because you know him doesn't mean that he's the right person to take out Clark. Well, and Edgar's argument is really interesting. So first he has to test Garibaldi to see if he's loyal. Uh, and so he like asks, asks him some quiz questions, and he uses a telepath as a um, polygraph, basically. Um do you like me? What do you think? Is this a if cool I put on place? a dress, would I look cute? Like, do you, are you in love with my wife? What's going on? In love with me? Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this telepath in front of you? Her name's Susan. <laughs> so Garibaldi answers all these questions to his satisfaction, except the one about being in love with his wife, and he is in love with Lee still. It of course. Seems like. uh, and so Edgar says, okay, here's the deal. I hate telepaths. I think that they make it impossible for people to live people lives, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you know what, Alan? What's that? He's not wrong. Of course. He's it's the part where it's the part wrong. where he argues that like the people with good ideas uh have them acted upon by people who are bad, like by bad people. Hmm. And he talks about, like, the jihad had good ideas, but then the jihadists are terrorists, and that's a terrible thing. Or, like, the people who ran the French Revolution were good, but then, the, like, the people who run the guillotines are bad. Like, the actors are bad, but the thinkers are good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of his easy. So he's like, we're going at this from a good idea, but Sheridan is not the right actor for this. Uh, also, there's just so much slime with Edgar. It's like the fact that he uh, has orange juice, yeah. which is so like garibaldi's like that's super weird where did you get that and he's like oh like i had it as a kid and i had them like f- make synthetically make oranges and, like bring original oranges from earth back for me uh just like when i was a little kid isn't that cool and it's like why do you why can you do that this is rich i don't hell. it's terrifying how rich he is um yeah. he also talks about how was the uh, sorry was the thing 
with the like Nazis. He was oh, saying that, that they had good ideas. I thought it was like, I didn't think that's what it was. I thought it was like how many people. His argument was like, it's not that people take power. It's that we let people take power. That's what it was. You're right. Um, because he says like, how many people were actually Nazis? Like yeah, putting very on small the Nazi uniforms, Nazis. Not many, but people in Germany allowed Hitler to be Hitler. Yes. And so he's saying like, we are allowing Clark to be Clark, and mm-hmm. we're allowing telepaths to be uh, dangerous. And his argument against letting Sheridan roll in, which I think is kind of compelling and makes me wonder is he says, listen, if Sheridan shows up, Clark is going to say to the Psychor, all right, no rules. You do whatever you got to do. And now suddenly you've opened the floodgates on telepaths and there are no longer restrictions on what they're able to do or not. And the inevitable outcome of that is that we have a society run by telepaths. Yeah. It's a very X-Men argument. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, Edgar's creeps me out and I think he's a bad guy and I don't think we can trust his word on its face, but I share his sentiment about the idea of telepaths being a danger to society. Does but if they already exist, Magellan, what do you do with them now? Right. Like, how do you, you regulate that? You can't do the creepy Edgar's thing where he has a room where he's like poisoning <laughs> them on tables and stroking their faces or whatever. Blech. That's perfect. That's exactly what you need to do. No, 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 no. And Wade says, Gross, hey, man. hey, boss, I'm just, you know, poisoning these people for you. And he's like, they're they're sick. They're going to, they need to get fixed. Just kill all of them. Just wipe them out. It's gross. He's a nightmare. I love the visual language that Babylon 5 uses to tell you that a room is evil or mysterious is that there's no lights. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you, how do you get around in a room like that? How does that lab like function with no lights? Right. Yeah. Uh, it just practically doesn't make any sense. Uh, an un- an unremarked upon moment before all of the good Edgar's conversations is when Garibaldi is escorted into his room on Mars by Wade. And it's like something out of like a really good indie movie mm-hmm. where the room is tiny. It's a bed. It's a bed with four walls around it and no windows. And Wade is like, just don't touch anything. He's like, touch, 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 touch. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. But it's, and then it's just like, you're like, that's kind of funny and cute. But then he just sits in bed and looks up. The camera like pulls out and you're like, this guy's fucking alone in the middle of nowhere doing something for someone he barely knows. Yeah, right. Like, no wonder he craves like this understanding and he so badly wants to know uh, the guy's plot mm-hmm. is he just has no control in his life right now. Things are just happening. It's the same reason why when he talks to Lise, uh and he's like, can we just figure this out? Like, Can we just answer this relationship we have now, please? Uh, and she kind of breaks down for him and uh, talks about how, like, I do love uh, Edgar's. I do respect what he's doing. I think he's doing it in a wrong way. And I can't talk about it more than that. And she's, like, crying about it. It's really sad. Yeah, and, and she then... gives us perspective on the relationship that we haven't gotten from Garibaldi's telling of it. Right. And I think this is very true to life, uh, that people walk away from relationships having a one-dimensional explanation for why things went the way they went that Mm -hmm. you know that is true to a certain extent but 
is not a complete picture. I think every person who's been in a relationship has like, oh, it didn't work out because X, Y, Z. And his version of it is like, oh, you know, it didn't work out because she gave me this ultimatum and like, I felt like I had to go to Babylon 5 and like, I was struggling with alcohol. He has these reasons. And she's like, well, you just, you never said that you loved me before I, I did. Right. You she never says, like, seemed like you were on the path to marriage or anything. So don't tell me that like we had this amazing thing that I didn't return to. Cause like we didn't, you were shitty to me. Yeah, exactly. You never, and you never committed. She says, I'm too old to not commit to anything anymore. Like, yeah. You always told me, like, I'll get things figured out or, like, I'll go to Babylon 5 and I'll come back and all this stuff and then we'll get married. And she's like, no, like, for once in my life, somebody told me something and then they did it. Yeah. And she basically says, like, he was there. He was the one who said yes and, like, didn't waffle. And that's what made me choose him over you. It's not a simple matter of, like, he had more money or whatever. And the tragic thing is that Garibaldi has changed as a guy. And he he is now the guy who can commit. Mm -hmm. But she just never saw that and he never communicated to that communicated that to her and so it's this like oh we missed our chance but they're gonna kiss right yeah probably and then she'll die i think i said this last week she'll probably have a tragic death yeah so my my my, like actual legitimate garibaldi theory after this scene is the following okay um it's it feels like it's solidified enough that all of the pieces are in order and it would be satisfying if this happens uh Garibaldi is not currently acting on behalf of Psycor. Like, he's not possessed in the way that, like, some characters can be possessed by mm-hmm. telepaths. It's more of a control situation where he can be activated. You think and he's right... like a sleeper? Yes. I think he's a sleeper agent. And they must have either nudged him or pushed him into this, like, anti Sheridan uh, idea that he's gotten in his head. Okay. And, like, it was already there, and they just kind of helped it spur along. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, that brought him to Edgar's because they know his connection to Lise. And through all of that, he's going to be getting close to Edgar's because, you know, at the end of this episode, obviously, Edgar's is like, you're now going to be my top guy. The way you solidify yourself there is by bringing Sheridan to Clark. Mm-hmm. Prove it to me. I think in getting close to Edgar's, that is when somebody at, in Psycor is going to activate Garibaldi and have him kill Edgar's so that they don't have any mega corporations fighting back against them, or at least one less. Hmm. I guess my he's two, be able to do it. so there's, I will say now I have this, the feeling of our listeners having like looked this up Yeah. where it's like, oh my God, how did they get that right? Uh, but also some of those things are wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't know the full story of what's right, but if I'm just pretending that I don't know anything and I'm listening to your theory, my two questions are, do we know that Psycor knows about what Edgar's is doing? Right. I guess we don't know. And then my second question is like, did Psycor nudge for Garibaldi to get hired by him? Is Wade a Psycor guy or like in talks with them? Oh, Wade probably is a Psycor guy. I mean, he kills telepaths, though. He's the one who kills the guys in the room. Right. So I'm just wondering how Psycor would know what's going on with Edgars and how they would know, like, how they would get Garibaldi to go to work for him. You know? Well, I I think the connection between Edgars and Garibaldi is Lise. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. 
He's like, oh, your husband has like he's like a rich guy. I should work with him. And like maybe that'll be the reveal. Is this like reverse explanation of like, oh, this, this, and this all happened because Cycor put this idea in his head, and now it led to him being in this right moment at the right time. I gotcha. Yeah, that's my little pet theory I'm playing with. I'm not gonna look anything up though. I promise. So okay, good. Don't. We'll find out. We only have a couple more episodes left in the season. Season. Uh, speaking of which, uh, the episode, like I said, ends with. Uh, Edgar is telling Garibaldi that you need to bring Sheridan, not to me, but to Clark. Um, and he says, how are you going to do that? No one else knows him better than you do. And he's like, the secret is his father. He takes regular expensive medicine for his blood disease. There's so little of it in the world that you could probably just track how he's getting it and paying for it. Mm-hmm. And that's how you'll find Sheridan's father. And that's how you'll find Sheridan. Creepy. Ultra creepy. Ultra depressing, too, when you think about like the way you track pharmaceuticals around right and it's like we're we're hunting an old man like the the really creepy thing is that he's like it's his father you guys need his father and uh edgar says like no it can't be that because we've spent millions and billions of dollars chasing this old man around the the galaxy and we can't find him and i'm like yo like that's so dark they're just looking for his dad yeah ah very stressful pair of episodes honestly (laughs) for sure um, can you tell me about the next pair of episodes that we're watching on Chats Live? Dude, I would love to. Thanks, dude. Uh, I think we're at the point now where listeners were like, you should probably chill. Oh, with, <laughs> with the, the Amazon, Amazon summaries? summaries? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to chill. Sorry, guys. Oh, my God. You have no chill. Yeah, I have no chill. That's facts. No chill in the... <laughs> can I... Re- okay, I'll read the non-spoiler ones if you read the ones that you want to read. Yeah, let, let me just look and see if you're safe to hear these or not. Okie dokie. Um, oh, I love these. You read those first, and then we'll see if these are that different. So, next week on Chats on Five, we're watching season four, episode 17 The Face of the Enemy. Uh, amidst Sheridan's continuing shooting war against Earth, betrayal lurks in the shadows. Garibaldi finds new information about his abduction. <gasps> That's what I want. And then season four, episode 18, Intersections in Real Time, which is an amazing episode title. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheridan's Life is at Risk. Cool. Which I, okay. I like that. These Amazon summaries, like, for each of those things is slightly more specific, but also more boring. So I'm not going to read them. Fab. That's yeah. fab. Cool. Maggie. Let's take it to the plug zone. Let's do it, my friend. Do you like that nickname? Can I keep, can I keep that nickname? You can keep it. I don't like it. Oh, <laughs> so that's, enough. that's my answer. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, folks, if you want to email us questions, comments, or concerns, chatspod at gmail.com. C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com is the home of that. So it's at chatspod on Twitter. Yes. Check us out on iTunes. Yes. Give us a review. Send us five-star reviews. We love them. Uh, we'd love if you could check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash chatspod. Please do uh, basically, every Saturday, you'll get some bonus content. Uh, if you back us at five dollars or more, um, every month you'll get a movie commentary at one dollar or more. Uh, we're watching the last 2010's The Last Airbender for the month of August, um, and we have a huge backlog of fun movies that we watched and did commentaries for, so you can sync that up with your stuff. Um, three dollars gets you that and Chats Nights, which is our hangout show, uh, which is a lot of fun and mm-hmm. silly. And then the five dollar is on the off weeks we do pilot chats where we watch. The first episode of a new TV show that someone recommended to us, and we determined if it's a good chat show. Yeah. 
we just put our discussion of Argon, the Korean Netflix drama, uh, which we liked a lot. I'll tell you that. And you can hear us get into it and talk about the first episode over there. $5 a month, patreon.com slash chatspod. Lovely. John, what's your what's your chatsum for this week? I've, bud? I have two chatsums. They're both music chatsums. They're both hip hop music chatsums, uh, specifically. First of all, uh, when I was a an RA at Stanford University my senior year, I had a resident who is now a hip hop artist. His name is uh, Sun Kuma. And he just released his second EP. Uh, his first one was called Indica, and his second was called Sativa. <laughs> and those are weed things. From what I've been told. From what I've been told. I've never smoked smoked the weed myself, but I know what they're called. Uh, and you should check it out. It's like seven songs or something like that, six or seven songs. And it's quite fun to bump. Uh, let me see. what What's the song that I'd recommend here there's one that i that i that really slaps it's a it's a straight pop but i can't remember it's eight songs on uh yep. on sativa there yes sir well thanks for that i would say you can you can probably bump a uh, chemistry it's a fun one it's the second song but listen to the whole thing it's only 21 minutes long uh and you're supporting a person who's trying to be a bigger name Speaking of bigger names, my second music recommendation, you guys, this past week, actually further back, because this is being released later than we're recording it, uh, Chance the Rapper put out his first full-length album called The Big Day, and it is absolutely beautiful and funny and uh, just clever. It's everything that you could want in a hip-hop record and i encourage you to check it out really i didn't know it was funny yes it's gen there are some songs that are genuinely funny i'm waiting to al- album as he was calling it on, mm, on album. instagram yeah uh i'm excited for that one chance hasn't put out a full album ever yeah it's just eps i mean what's the difference nowadays true but length yeah and w- and which one can be classified by the in like billboard charts right so uh he's very talented and he also just put out a bunch of his mixtapes on on spotify he's like older mixtapes that are good yeah uh, acid wraps up there 10 days up there oh classics mm-hmm. check that stuff out Majel, my chat's in for this week if yeah, you'll allow me to yeah, please. bring it uh sure. i i've I tried to be very i try to recommend video games very sparingly because you know it's kind of like the highest commitment thing i could recommend but sure. i've been really uh enchanted by this new game on the switch called fire emblem three houses um it's a new entry in the fire emblem franchise long-running franchise japanese role-playing game you play as a commander and like a young commander in a military and you have all these like soldiers who you form bonds with and you can marry and have kids with and some of the older ones and it's sort of like a romance dating thing mixed Mm -hmm. with a like tactical top-down strategy game okay sure they're notorious for being really difficult they have they've had like permadeath and you know, they are also the origins of the Super Smash Bros. characters, Marth, Roy, uh, etc. Yeah. Um, Ike, those kids, Ike. Lucina, etc. Um, Three Houses is really cool because it has this gimmick where instead of just like being in a, in like an eternity war, uh, the like world setup is that you are a new professor at this school that's like a 
um, it's like a cathedral that was been converted into a school. So it's kind of like a military Hogwarts in a church. And there's these three houses. The It's like the red, blue, and the yellow houses. They all have different names based on animals. And mm-hmm. you're asked to teach at one of the houses. You can pick whichever one you want based on like the little introduction to each of them. You meet all the students. And you start forming bonds with them and you start teaching them. Like you spend a lot of the game instead of like, going on like dates it's like i'm actually going to teach you guys history and that's going to help you learn oh, how to use weapons yeah, better. that's my kind of game yeah so when i took i don't usually like i said i don't like talk about the games i play that much but i was like Majon, you would like this because you get to be a teacher to some shitty teens <laughs> uh and they all have unique like little stories and problems and then at the end of every chapter it's like all right it's time for the big fight and you pick your squadron and then you like take what they've learned and try to beat like a war and like play like go through a long story um it's really fun i will say if people haven't played one of these before it's like pretty challenging um it's harder than i expected i've I've known the fire emblem series to be difficult but like i've had trouble beating the first like real fight in the game so far okay so definitely like be patient with it you make set it down to easy turn off permadeath if that scares you um and it's pretty forgiving in the long-term sense like if you lose a battle it's like you can keep all the xp you got in that battle and just do it again okay so it's like it's it's you know, you can kind of throw your head against it and just beat it and enjoy the world and the charming characters. So nice. Fire Emblem Three Houses on the Switch if you got one of those. Check it out. Heck yeah. And that, dear listener, is going to do it for this episode of Chatsalon 5. Peace. <laughs>